From ABC7 New York, this is Eyewitness News Extra Time. Some big breaking news we're following right now in Harlem. One person is dead, 17 others hurt in a giant apartment building fire. The FDNY rescue team, and they had to get some of the victims using a daring rope technique, as you can see right there. And good evening, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. I'm Bill Ritter. Video released by the NYPD shows the FDNY rope rescues. The fire started on the third floor late this afternoon. Dense black smoke quickly rising to the upper floors, making it really unbearable for the people who live there. Eyewitnesses say people were hanging out the windows to try to get away from the growing smoke and flames. Eyewitness News reporter Anthony Carlo joins us now live from East Harlem with the very latest. Anthony. Well, Bill, that's right, and there was plenty of desperation out here, but this fire not only tested firefighters' courage, but also their creativity. They were scaling down the side of that building, literally lifting people out of their windows and taking them to safety. Yes, a tragedy that one person is dead, but just imagine how much worse it could have been if the firefighters were not as resourceful as they were. People were screaming. I could hear people screaming like they were involved in the fire. Sounds Regina Shaw may never forget. People hanging out of the windows of their burning Harlem building, calling for help amidst all the smoke. Regina made it out with her adult son and their two puppies. You live here for so long, and something like this happens, it's... In just a matter of moments, all of that just goes up in actual flames. The FDNY says those flames broke out in a third floor apartment in the St. Nicholas Avenue building just after two this afternoon and were particularly difficult. It was so dangerous that the firefighters had to make three rope rescues which is something very unusual for us to do at one fire. Mayor Adams at the scene showing video of rope rescues, the daring strategy firefighters had to turn to to quickly get people out of the building. Some were dangling from the windows. Our members uh, attach themselves to a rope and then another member goes, goes onto the rope and goes off the side of the building goes down to the window and grabs the person. We always train like the real thing, so when the real thing happens, we know what we're doing. At least 18 people hurt in this fire, five of them critical. At least one person died at the hospital. Chief Hodgins says the flames so intense because a third floor apartment door was left open. So normally we go directly up to the floor above the fire, but we were even unable to get past those flames. Certainly a difficult situation. Of course, the cause of this fire now under investigation. That firefighter you heard from, Mr. Lopez, he is probationary, less than a year on the job bill, and he was forced to put those skills to the test right away. Some of the toughest things the firefighters do are that kind of rescue. I've been to the training facility on Randall's Island where they drew that they do that kind of stuff. And I'll tell you something, Anthony, it is it is so bold what they do, so dangerous, so risky, especially if the flames are just coming up. Um, it's it's any, anything else you saw or talked to anybody about what that meant to have those firefighters up there like that's very dangerous. Well, I think there's just a collective, uh, you know, sigh of relief for many of the tenants who yeah. did make it out successfully and were not. 
you know, one point that I would like to make is that because those flames were blowing out into the hallway on the third floor, it was blocking exits for people, it was blocking entryways for firefighters. So that's really why they had to get to the roof and down the side of the building until other firefighters were able to uh, get to that third floor and extinguish many of those flames. But again, resourceful, creative, and even though there were more than a dozen injuries and unfortunately, sadly, a death, I mean, just imagine how much worse it could have been. No question about that. One more thing, and they, the, one of the chiefs said this, uh, and, and you talked about it in your piece at six o'clock. Uh, you know, they, they didn't keep the window, the door closed. They kept that open, and that's why all that smoke just filled those hallways. Yes, that's right. And as you said, Bill, you know, that is something we have seen before in fires that turn deadly. And firefighters always make sure to remind people uh, not uh, to be doing that, to not, you know, leave doors wide open because really it just creates kind of a funnel uh, yeah. for those flames and for that smoke, firefighters have said. It makes very difficult and treacherous conditions for them and the people who live there. What a fire today to cover in Harlem. We wish, wish the people who are injured uh, a good recovery. There's no question. Anthony, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, now to the murderous violence early this morning on the D train in the Bronx. New York cops say it started as an argument. It ended in the death of a 45-year-old man. And late this afternoon, police releasing this video from inside the subway itself. After all this time, police still haven't determined if the victim was shot or if he was stabbed. So how many cameras are there in the subway system? And would it help reduce crime if we got more of them? Highway News reporter Lindsay Tuckman has the story. Millions of people ride the subway every day, despite a year-to-date rise in crime underground. I think it's sort of part of the fabric of New York City. I think you just have to be smart and aware. To stay aware, a state initiative is working to install surveillance cameras in all 6,000 train cars. So far, 1,000 have been put in. One of those cameras capturing a deadly fight early Friday morning on a downtown D train in the Bronx. I cannot speak enough about the value of video surveillance, both as a deterrent and investigative value. Police say just before 5 a.m., two men and one woman got on the train at the Fordham Road station. One of the men sat next to a 45-year-old Bronx man who had been riding alone. Words were exchanged and then it turned physical. The other two people joined in assaulting the victim before running away at the 182nd, 183rd Street stop. He was pronounced dead at the hospital, whether it was a gunshot or a stabbing still being looked into. Transit advocates say this act of violence is an example of why cameras are more than necessary. They should have done that years ago. They're playing catch up, so that's an issue. And riders hearing story after story like this agree. There's been a lot of people that have had trouble on these subways and people don't always feel safe. I know my sister doesn't really feel safe on the subway anymore. I have a lot of female friends that specifically haven't felt safe here. We're New Yorkers, we love this city, we love this state. Keep us safe. The investigation is still ongoing. Those three suspects on the run, police hoping that the surveillance images will help people identify them. In the meantime, the medical examiner's office is still working to determine the official cause of death, the second death on a subway in the Bronx in less than two weeks. In the Bronx, Lindsay Tuckman, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. A troubling development to be sure. Okay, let's switch to the weather. The rain is moving out, but the cold temperatures are moving in. Let's get an update on the weekend's forecast with Chief Meteorologist Lee Goldberg. Lee? 
So we've got uh, mostly cloudy skies out there right now as we look at Midtown. Our temperature's at 47. So, you know, not terribly cold here for late February. And the wind is light, so not too uncomfortable tonight. But the wind will be brisk by tomorrow morning. Overall, from start to finish this weekend, it's chilly and it's dry for most. There's less wind on Sunday, a lot of sunshine, but we're still kind of struggling around 40 degrees. Now, next week, temperatures take off. It's spring-like the first half of the week, but you'll have to dodge some showers. It's not the cleanest warm-up, which is typical if you're talking about 60-degree temperatures in late February. Wednesday, that's the warmest day, but that's not the best outdoor day because that'll be showery. We might even have a thunder shower that day, not severe, with a cold front coming through. We still have to get rid of some rain on the east end of the island in the next few hours. We're about to dry out here in the Jersey Shore, and again, we're clearing slowly from northwest to southeast. But there's another little disturbance here, and then there's a cold front back here. That comes through tomorrow night and gives us our coldest air of the weekend. So that little disturbance, which you can see it coming up the western slope of the Appalachians and rising air enhances showers. So that's what we're seeing there. So after we get rid of the coastal rain and we clear out for a while, that little disturbance I showed you near the mountains produces a few snow showers over southern New Jersey first thing and probably some extra cloudiness for a time. And then we'll get partly to mostly sunny as the day wears on, but a little cloudier south, a little sunnier north. The big weather factor you're going to notice as well tomorrow is the wind. It could gust 25, 30 miles an hour. So with that in play and it's brisk tomorrow morning and the winds probably peak during early afternoon, they'll die down during the evening hours. With that in play, your wind chills are pretty much close to freezing much of the day. So bundle up, have the sunglasses too, but an okay day to be outdoors. By Sunday, you've got less wind and a lot of sunshine, just a few patchy high clouds. A warm front will be approaching Sunday night. That could bring a sprinkle or flurry. That lasts into early Monday morning and then the floodgates open for the milder air. So 36 tonight, we've got some evening rain that'll leave the immediate coastline in the east end of the island. Then it'll turn brisk and chilly later, but the evening isn't all that bad. Partial clearing will come in. Tomorrow morning, again, brisk and chilly, a morning rain or snow shower, especially over southern New Jersey, and then we should increase the sunshine in all locations. Already, if you're in our northern suburbs, you probably wake up to partly cloudy skies. 23, it's a cold night tomorrow night. The wind backs off. We'll go into the teens in many suburbs. Here's your seven-day accuracy of the forecast. So 42 and kind of blustery tomorrow, less wind on Sunday, but after that cold morning, we're digging out of that cold start to get to 40 in the afternoon. By Monday, 54. Early clouds and a straight sprinkle or flurry, and then we're in the 50s. Tuesday, a spot shower. Wednesday, we could be covering a couple of thunder showers coming through. Wow. We're in the 60s, and then near 50. That's the first day of March there, one week from today. One week from today, it all changes. Uh, a big idea to tell you about, and it got our attention for our Be Kind campaign. Piscataway High School in New Jersey is going to hold a special fundraiser happening tomorrow. Art students and staff have been working to try to create beautiful ceramic mugs, mugs that can be purchased for 10 bucks and then filled with coffee, tea, or hot chocolate on the scene. There will also be other items for sale, including baked goods and artwork. Why all this? Because all the proceeds are going to benefit feeding Middlesex County, which supports more than 150 food pantries in all the communities in the county and that's why they're getting our be kind attention for tonight joining us with the tales is piscataway high school art teacher mary wartenberg i hope i got that right mary there you go yes uh mm -hmm. you organized the event and you're a student senior lam duong and do i have that right oh gosh yes. i got everyone's usually it takes at least a couple times for me to get everyone's names right so mary and lam congratulations on this to tell tell the folks out there uh, Mary, especially um, at first, what what you what caused this brainstorm, and how you made it happen. 
So I was actually inspired by something called the Empty Bowls fundraiser. And the students really enjoy making cups. So I decided to call it Empty Cups. Um, and then I really wanted to, to do something that involved uh, Middlesex County, where I live, and something that, um, you know, the students can also relate to um, and get to be creative at the same time. Well, you know, empty cups is going to be filled with hot chocolate. Are you going to be able to buy the hot chocolate there and the tea or are you going to take it home? Y- yes. Nope. You can sit down and we have different art activities. Um, we're going to have henna. We're going to have face painting. Um you know, a lot of different other crafts that people can take part in. Okay. So, and tell me, Lamb, tell me exactly what, what you're doing with this, how you got involved, and what you're getting out of this, more importantly. I think when I heard that Mrs. Warrenberg is hosting this fundraiser um, to prevent food scarcity, I think that a lot of PHS students like me are very passionate about doing anything that we can raise awareness and contribute to our community. And I think that nobody deserves to be hungry. And um, as humans, it's important that we would we should be kind to each other and do anything that we can to help those around us, you know, and with small action can make a big impact. I think we're just going to take that tape speech of yours just now and put it on our, our website. That was beautiful. Let, let me ask you something. And I, and I, I don't want to be, uh, I don't, don't think me rude by asking this question. You're a senior, I see, on your, little, on your, yes. on your thing there. That means you're, you're going to go to college come fall, right? Yeah. I assume you're yes. waiting for word if you haven't gotten it already. Correct? Yes, I'm, I am. Yeah. And well, I'm, well, I'm actually about to commit to uh, my college. My, yeah. <laughs> uh, can you, you want to break the news on, on Eyewitness News here? Or yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to commit to Rutgers Engineering um, College. <laughs> Congratulations. That, uh, that's, Thank that, you. That's really great. Way to go. Well, okay. So you're going to go to Rutgers. So this answers some of the question, because I wanted to, you know, a lot of people your age in that situation, waiting for some decision from a college, would maybe not make the first priority, you know, doing a project like this to feed the hungry people in New Jersey. But here you grew up in New Jersey, you went to school in New Jersey, you're going to continue in school in New Jersey. And so why not make it the best possible deal you can have? And that is to help people who live in your neighborhood. And I think that's what's happening. And I don't know if you feel like that, but from the outside, that's what it's that's what it yells. Yes, um, I think it's really important to uh, help our community, even if it you know doesn't really show a lot um, on whether on college applications or not. I think you know as humans, um, yeah. it's important yeah. just we just bring out the best in each other and help those in need. And yeah, I think it's really important for people and seniors like me that are going to college you know, to help as much as we can. I think it's an important lesson in the future as well. Well, you're just so. awesome. You're an awesome senior. Mary, you got the last word on this. There's so many people who will say, you know, the young, the young people today don't care about that kind of stuff. They just want to go partying and they want to take some time off. That's not what I'm seeing here. Yeah, especially with, you know, devices and, and things that um, can distract um, a teenager. Yep. Um, but they have all been very receptive, very helpful, very excited to be able to give back. And, um, you know, being kind is one of those things that I always kind of try to set an example for. I have, you know, things all around my classroom about right. that. I have something on my door. Um, <clears throat> so it's just, it's very exciting. I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of them. And I'm just really happy I was able to do this. 
Uh, my supervisor, Rebecca Sterlocki, yep. really supported me in this. So just grateful. Well, Mary, you helped make this happen. And, uh, you know, good for Piscataway. It's great. Be kind is a great thing. You can't get enough of it. Mary and Lamb, thank you very much. Good luck to you. Thank, thank you. you. Right. Take care. By the way, if you know someone doing something kind, we want to hear about it. Email us at abc7ny.com slash be kind. Coming up next, we hand it over to our sports anchor, Sam Ryan, for this week's edition of 7 Sports Plus after the break. Hi, everyone. Welcome to 7 Sports Plus on Extra Time. I'm Sam Ryan. Coming up, we're going to go one-on-one -on -one with former New York Nick and three-term New Jersey Senator Bill Bradley on his new film. The Rangers, they're red hot. So is NYU basketball. All that's still ahead. But first, our sports shorts news this week. As the Mets are getting ready for the upcoming season, their ace Kodai Senga heads to the IR with arm fatigue. They are the hottest team in the NHL. Yes, your New York Rangers now on the longest winning streak for them in eight seasons. They have won nine in a row. And in college hoops, we talked about NYU. The NYU women's basketball team looks to wrap up the season undefeated. They are 24-0 with one game remaining. Well, we are getting closer to the start of the MLB season. Now 33 days until opening day. The Yankees, they're getting ready in Tampa. A setback for the Mets, though, this week. Kodai Senga underwent an MRI after experiencing arm fatigue following a throwing session, the results of which revealed a strained muscle in the back of his shoulder. As a result, the Mets ace expected to start the season on the injured list and thus won't be available on opening day. We're going to shut him down until these symptoms uh, uh, subside and strength returns to, to his normal levels. Um, once that happens, we can begin to ramp him up uh, and then go through his, his normal spring training. So assuming Senga is on the shelf to start the season, the Mets starting rotation would look like so. Former Yankee Luis Severino in the mix as well as new Met Sean Manaya. But this is a far cry from the days of just yesteryear, Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer when they were on the staff. As for the Yankees, Aaron Judge and the Yankees getting reps down in Tampa. The pinstripes looking to mesh and looking to get back into the postseason. The team fell flat last year, as you recall, missing out on October baseball. Extra motivation for the Yankees this spring. I think we have a championship caliber team right now, but we haven't stopped looking to improve, and we never will. I'm not going to get into free agents. I'm just going to tell you that we continue to look at a lot of different options, and, you know, we are not done trying to improve this team. Head over to Hoops. Now the NYU women's basketball team closing out the regular season at Brandeis tomorrow. And a win would cap off, yes, a perfect season. The Violets are 24-0 heading in. It feels really rewarding at this point in the season. We've been putting a lot of work in um, ever since I've stepped foot here at NYU and also it's, uh, since September with uh, Team 101 we have here. And also um, being part of such a historic program, um, there's a lot of history in previous years um, with 1998 National Championship, a lot of different alumni supporting us every step of the way. So both rewarding and we feel really supported um, in this journey as we finish out the rest of the season. But do you feel any added pressure now as you finish out the remainder of the season, one game to go just to stay undefeated? You know, I think we're taking every opportunity one game at a time. And obviously now in the tournament, it's do or die. You win or you go home. And so I think that we are taking it one game at a time. But also, like, we know who we have in our locker room and we know our ability and we're confident in that. Okay, so when you guys are winning and you're constantly winning, there's got to be some kind of superstition. So who is the most superstitious person on the team and what are those? 
it's going to have to be head coach, um, Coach Barber. She, I, there's a list of things, but she calls her mom before every game. She comes to our shoot around with wet hair, and it's kind of like all crazy. But then she straightens it before the before the game. Um, she listens to show tunes before the game. Um, she has like a certain like way that she has to write on the board, write this thing. Then we come in, and we talk about it. Then she has to write the next thing. Um, she has <laughs> certain shoes she wears, certain pants, certain like cover-up jacket. Um, it's all the same every single time. I didn't think anyone was noticing, and then um, I've suddenly realized that the team is paying close attention. So I do have quite a few superstitions, but um, I guess they're working. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the thing with the show tunes? I don't know. It just like resets my brain. We're in New York. I'm a huge Broadway show tunes fan. Um, it's been something I've done for over 10 years in coaching, and it just kind of gets me in a whole different mood outside of basketball. So now when you see the team and just the momentum and the difference between 1-0 and 24-0, what do you notice from them? Confidence. Um, the experience is really shining through as we've gotten into some of the tougher games and even just the preparation to head into the NCAA tournament. Um, and just an understanding of it's, you know, we're heading into March Madness, so what time of year it is and um, just making sure everybody's on the same page. So we're still having a lot of fun and whether it's one game or 24 games, same group of girls and we're enjoying the ride. One game to go for the regular season. Mm -hmm. Is there any added pressure now to go 25-0? and I think putting we, on themselves. Yeah, I think we got over the hump uh, at Wash in Chicago. Um, so, you know, obviously we're on the road this weekend, but I would say that this is kind of putting the cherry on the top of a great season so far. And that final game is tomorrow. NYU at Brandeis on the road in Massachusetts tomorrow afternoon, the end of the regular season before tournament play begins. We will have much more ahead on 7 Sports Plus. We'll sit down with former New Jersey Senator Bill Bradley and we'll head to the ice where it's heating up there. There's no one hotter than the Rangers right now. Blue shirts keep their winning streak going on the road. More on that after the break. To the ice, all NHL locals with the night off. And for the Rangers, a well-deserved night off. They are cruising. The team has been clicking on all cylinders at practice and in games following their emotional stadium series when they're keeping it going. A 5-1 round of the Devils last night makes it nine in a row for New York, their longest win streak in eight seasons and right where they want to be at this point in the season. Obviously, I have the winning streak going on now, and, and uh, you know, each game you get closer to the playoffs, and, and uh, you know, we're still trying to fine-tune our game and get better, and it's exciting times. And finally, former Knicks star player turned politician now sharing his story in a new streaming film. I recently sat down with former three-term New Jersey Senator Bill Bradley. An accomplished career to say the least, a BA from Princeton, an MA from Oxford, a Rhodes Scholar, an Olympic gold medal. He served in the Air Force and won two NBA championships with the New York Knicks all before the age of 30 and all before Bill Bradley entered the world of politics, a career he discusses in his new film, Rolling Along. Being elected to the U.S. Senate three times from New Jersey was the greatest honor, the greatest thrill and standing at center court with your fist raised in the air, chills going up and down your spine, knowing you're the best in the world, the NBA championship. So one's an honor, one's a thrill. And the former New Jersey senator uses his successful Knicks team as an example to send a positive message of togetherness. The country is so divided that maybe we could learn from what made our Knicks team successful so many years ago. Take responsibility for yourself, respect your fellow human being, disagree with them openly and honestly and civilly. And what my grandmother used to say, never look down, 
on people you don't understand. The 90-minute performative autobiography is produced by Spike Lee. So what does Bradley want people to take from this? It's about all of us. It's about love of the game. It's about love of the country. It's about forgiveness. It's about sadness, joy, triumph, defeat. In other words, life. And it is currently streaming right now. Well, that wraps up this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Sam Ryan. We are back live on Eyewitness News at 11 p.m. tonight. We hope to see you then. Have a great evening, everyone.